Good morning, everybody at Stapleton Baptist. Glad to have y'all back here for one of our last two Sundays that we're going to have to do worship this way. Uh, so we've got this Sunday, and then we've got next Sunday, and then June 14th, we're planning on being back right here in this sanctuary so that I will not be all by myself again. I am really, really, really missing you guys, and I'm looking forward to having you back in here. Uh, so when you come back, there's going to be a few differences in here. There are going to be some changes in the room. Um, there will probably be bailing twine in here because we're going to mark off uh, every other pew so that we won't have people sitting too close together that we actually want to follow all the recommendations that, that we've been asked to follow. So we're going to be roping off some pews so that you can't sit you know, directly um, right, right next to somebody here. We're going to be sitting on either end. We're going to have you know, different, different things done to make things a little bit safer for you. So um, remember, this is all for taking care of those who are the most vulnerable amongst us. So I really think that all of us for, you know, a few weeks or maybe a month or so, maybe a month or two, we can, we can take on a little bit of personal inconvenience to take care of those who might be at greater risk than those of us who are not. Um, so I'm going to be personally getting, getting tested every which way I can to make sure I'm not bringing anything in here when we open back up. Um, not asking you to do that. You can do it if you'd like to. Uh, but just want to make sure I'm doing everything we can for, for you guys to be safe when you come back because I love you all and I don't want anybody to get hurt. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10 this morning. Just two verses, but we're going to look at Jesus being the focal point, not just of our own lives, but of heaven itself and of everything that is. Jesus is the center. Uh, so we're going to pray, and then now would be a great time for you to get out your copy of God's Word and flip it to the passage that we're going to cover today. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the chance to study your Word together, Lord, and look forward uh, to a time, Jesus, where you are visibly, presently the focus of everything that we do, because this world is a broken down and busted world right now, a world um, that seems to be without justice and without order and without resolution. Lord, we pray um, for the folks who are hurting right now because of the death of George Floyd. Um, Lord, we pray that you would, um, Lord, just have mercy on this nation. Um, Lord, that you would help us to find reconciliation with each other. You would help us to find um, a, a way to live together that honors and glorifies you and respects the image of God that you have created every man, woman, boy, and girl in, regardless of uh, race, age, uh, nationality, language. Um, Lord, that you have uh, created all of us with inherent value because we reflect you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just uh, help us take some of the focus off of ourselves and put it back on you because that's the solution to every problem this world has is you. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to, to clearly bring you into focus and to appreciate you and think of you in, in everything we think, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. So, go ahead and get your copy of God's Word out, and I'm going to go ahead and read the verses that we're covering today, and then we can go ahead and dive in and see what we can learn about Jesus being the center, Jesus being the focus. So, Revelation chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Uh, John wrote, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The first uh, thing I want us to learn about Jesus this morning and him being the focus is that Jesus is actually the focus of heaven. I don't want to retread old ground, but we talked a couple of weeks ago about our, our perceptions and maybe uh, wrong perceptions about heaven, that we think of heaven 
as somewhere without chaos, without injustice, without riots in the streets, uh, without coronavirus, without COVID-19, with, uh, you know, milk always in the fridge, ice cream always in the freezer, uh, mama and papa there, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, your family, your friends, they're all there, and it's just a, a better version of this world. Um, well, that's not actually what heaven is. Heaven is actually the dwelling place of God, and it is his presence that makes heaven heaven. So if you've got heaven, but you don't have Jesus, you don't actually have heaven. Um, anywhere you eternally are without the presence of God, man, that's hell. Uh, so heaven is actually heaven because Jesus is there. And Jesus is just not there. He's also the focal point of everything that goes on. Uh, so let's look at verse 9 and talk about this a little bit more. So this angelic guide, we know it's an angel. You can see this reflected in your English text by the fact that, that uh, your English translators have rendered the word he with a lowercase h. Um, just to let you know, you need to always be careful interpreting whether it's Jesus or not based on whether or not you see a capital H. All of our New Testament manuscripts are in Greek, and all of them are all in capital letters. So it's not like the writers of the New Testament give you a capital H whenever it's Jesus and a lowercase h whenever it's somebody else. That's an editorial decision made by your English language translators. But in this case, they got it right. And we'll see how obvious that is in just a minute. So this angelic guide says to John, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is, yes, this is a beatitude um, that you found one of them in Revelation chapter 19. Beatitudes are famous because you get a whole bunch of them at the beginning of Matthew 5, at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus makes all these blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, and he makes statements about the blessed ones based on certain criteria. Uh, and that's exactly what this beatitude does in Revelation chapter 19. Those who are blessed in Revelation 19 are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, again, I don't want to retread old ground, but last week's sermon, uh, we talked a lot about the marriage supper. Um, we talk, I believe it was last week, we talked a lot about the marriage supper of the Lamb and uh, how the marriage supper of the Lamb is one of the biggest parties, if not the biggest party that we know of at least, that heaven has ever thrown. Uh, in the ancient world, the, the marriage supper um, was what the groom came to pick up the bride and her half of the wedding party and take her to. Uh, so in modern conventions, we focus a lot on the bride. Everybody's waiting on the double doors at the back to open. Nobody cares that the groom is standing at the front. It's always the bride in the back that, you know, you hear canon and D play, the double doors open, the bride comes in, uh, and everybody's uh, looking forward to, excuse me, it's not canon and D, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the bridal march. You hear that, and the bride comes in, and everybody stands up, and everybody's weepy because the focus of the wedding has arrived. Well, in the ancient world, the focus of the wedding would have actually been the groom because the bride and her, her bridal party would have been waiting at her father's house. Uh, and then the groom and his half of the wedding party has been preparing the wedding feast. And so the bride would know generally when the groom would be appearing, uh, but not the exact moment. And the groom, at the completion of his preparations, would come to pick up his bride and all of her half of the bridal party. And then they would process down the street uh, in joy to go to the feast. And that feast would last sometimes for days. Uh, so the focus of the wedding feast was actually the groom. So uh, we've got Jesus here um, playing the part of the groom and the church playing the part of the bride. And this angelic guide is telling John that those who are called to this marriage supper are blessed. And then he assures us that these are 
the true sayings of God. So a couple of things that we can pull from this. The first is that Jesus is actually the focal point of the wedding feast, that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's the one that everyone's waiting on. He's the one that everyone's paying attention to. He's the one that the church is waiting for his arrival, that Jesus is the focal point. It's all about him. And then second, those who are at the wedding feast are blessed. Why? Not just that they're at the party, but they're blessed that they're at the party with Jesus, that Jesus is the focal point. Jesus is not just an attraction of heaven. Jesus is not just part of what makes heaven great. Jesus is what makes heaven great. Jesus has always been what makes heaven great. The presence of God is what makes heaven heaven. It's not anything or anyone else who might be there. I'm sure that there are some fantastic things in heaven, but I'm going to be making a beeline for Jesus when I get there. He's the one that I want to see because I'm safe forever in his presence. I don't have to be afraid of anything ever again once I'm with Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. This is a picture, a rare picture, into what the pre-incarnate Christ in heaven would have been like. And this is eternal life. This is Jesus in his prayer before his crucifixion. It says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That Jesus is referencing the glory he had with his Father in heaven before he took on flesh and came to dwell among us. Uh, that Jesus has always been glorified in heaven. Jesus will always be glorified uh, in heaven. So Jesus is the focal point in heaven now. He was the focal point in heaven then. He will be the focal point in heaven in the future. That the whole reason we want to be there is because he is there. So don't get it twisted and think that something else should be the focus of the church. Here's how you apply this and actually make it part of your daily life, church. If Jesus is the focal point in heaven, he also ought to be the focal point of the church. Y'all, it's really, really, really easy for us to get caught up in other things. What is it that makes a healthy church? It's not a charismatic pastor. It's not the, the intensity and talent of the worship band. It's not the comfiness of whatever implement you're sitting on. It's not the lighting. It's not the parking. It's not the trendiness. It's not anything other than how much do they show you Jesus? How much do they focus on Jesus? Because if you got all the other stuff, but you don't have a focus on Jesus, that's a pretty crummy church. Um, so the, the, you know, I'm not calling anybody out right now. I don't have anybody in mind right now. But I'm just telling you that the focus of the church, the focus of us as Christians, ought to be on Jesus because Jesus is the focal point of heaven. And when we get there, he's going to be what we're focusing on. So why waste time right now focusing on something else when we ought to be focusing on what we'll be focusing on for all eternity? So because Jesus is the focal point of heaven, he also ought to be the focal point of the church. And then second, the church is blessed because of our relationship with Jesus and really for no other reason. Uh, so look at John chapter 14, verse 3. <clears throat> Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Or if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Guys, this is our hope. 
This is our great hope. Our hope is not, we're, we're not looking forward to just going away and escaping this world and there's a better world waiting for us. All of that is true. But why is there a better world waiting for us? Because Jesus is there. The church is blessed because of our relationship with Jesus. That's the reason. Right? So not for any other reason. We look forward to Jesus coming because we have a relationship with him. If you're sitting out there today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you should not be excited about stepping into heaven because you're stepping into heaven on your way to, to, to be judged. You will see Jesus, but you will see him without a, without a uh, relationship with him. That's not something you should be looking forward to. That's something you should be terrified of because he is the one true, holy, almighty God. And if you step before him unprepared, which all of us will step before him, if you step before him unprepared with no relationship with him, without uh, your sins being forgiven by his blood, having called on him during your life here on earth, if you step in front of him there, that's a one-way ticket to eternal judgment. I don't want that for any of you. Uh, so uh, the church is blessed because of our relationship that Jesus purchased uh, with his blood on the cross. Uh, so first, Jesus is the focal point of heaven, and thus he ought to be the focal point of the church on earth. Second, I want us to see that Jesus ought to be the focus of worship. Jesus is the focus of worship. So let's look at what John has to say in the first half of verse 10. So remember, this is an angelic guide. Look right, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna get this wrong. I know it. Look right up here. And I fell at his feet. Not a capital H, right? This is why I'm telling you your translators got this right. This is not Jesus that is guiding John at this particular moment. John fell at the feet of an angelic figure to worship him, and the angel responds exactly as the angel should. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That this angel looks at John and goes, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter that you are a human and I am an angel. You serve Jesus, I serve Jesus. You serve the Father, I serve the Father. You serve the Spirit, I serve the Spirit. All the other Christians that, that serve Jesus, guess what? I'm on your side. I'm not him. So don't give to me, this is the angel speaking, don't give to me what only belongs to him. Don't get preoccupied with things like angels and, and, and anything like that. Y'all, I pray to one person, and that's Jesus. That's who, that's who I'm concerned about. You know, are there angels up there? Sure. Am I concerned with them? Nope, I'm not. Because there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. But John was just so overwhelmed by his circumstances and by the greatness of the vision the angel had shown them, I mean, John was given a vision of the greatest party that heaven has ever enjoyed. And he's so overwhelmed by it that just emotionally uh, he's overloaded and he falls down in worship at the feet of the angel who showed him this. And the angel loses it and says, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen here today. Don't do that. I'm your fellow servant. So John's overwhelmed by this vision. He begins to worship his guide. The angel refuses worship because John is his fellow servant. And the angel redirects John's worship to where it ought to belong. So how do we apply this? Well, y'all, circumstances and impulsiveness can inappropriately redirect worship. That you say, well, wait a minute, I've never... I've never worshipped something other than God. I've never become an idolater. I bet you have, because every single one of us has. Every single one of us has become an idolater at some point. Uh, 
when I was a youth pastor before I got here, I used to tell my kids all the time, be careful. This is how you know when you have made an idol out of something else. One of the traits of God, one of the attributes of God, is that we judge our morality, what's right and wrong, based off of his character as revealed to us in Scripture. So this is why when God says, be holy as I am holy, that means something to us. We can see God's character and then therefore say, I know because God's, this is contrary to God's character, it's wrong, because it's consistent with God's character, it's right. I have an objective barometer of whether or not what I'm doing is right or wrong because I know God as he has revealed himself in the Bible. Where we begin to make idols is where we find ourselves in circumstances and we let something else start to determine our right and our wrong for us. Uh, so for example, uh, let's say that we know that God is contrary to God's character for us to steal, right? We know that the Bible says that that's wrong, that God explicitly commands us in, in Exodus 20, thou shalt not steal. Uh, so we know that, that's objectively true. I can flip over my Bible and I can see it. Well, then I end up uh, losing my job. I go underwater on my mortgage. Um, I've got to put food on the table. I got a wife and three kids and I'm panicking and I don't know what else to do. Um, I may look at my circumstances and say, oh, well, I know that the Bible says not to steal, but, see, anytime you use the word but, you negate everything that came before it. So when you say, I know that the Bible says not to steal, but I have to do this, it's okay for me to do this because of these circumstances. See, at that point, your circumstances have affected you and you have begun to make them your God. You have begun to make uh, the, the hunger of your family and your physical needs, you've begun to make them your God. Uh, so that's what changing, uh, that, that's what something changing into your God looks like. Now that's a negative uh, circumstance that may uh, affect you in, in, in making it a God. There are also positive circumstances as you can turn around and you can make something a God. Uh, let's say that you just got married and you're just all head over heels with my wife uh, and uh, oh she's just the most wonderful thing and this is the greatest thing in the world uh, and uh, you know wife maybe your husband uh, you know maybe something wrong uh, you know maybe he I don't know one of one of you wants to lead the other one into some form of sin and I don't know what sin that might be but you just love this person so much. That's what I'm getting at. You love this person so much, uh, they want to, to, to go do something sinful. They want to be involved in sin. They want to do something. And because you love them so much, you go, well, I know the Bible says this, but it would make my husband so happy, but it would make my wife so happy You know, if we uh, did whatever this sinful thing, went wherever this sinful place um, did. Uh, that's dangerous too. Um, that, that you should not be allowing some joyful situation uh, cause you uh, to adjust your, your rights and your wrongs. And that's what John did. John had a joyful situation, and he was just so overwhelmed, he fell down and worshiped at, at the feet of the messenger. Uh, look at what Paul uh, has to say about uh, circumstances changing your worship. Look at Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 18. Uh, so I know there's a lot of text. I'm going to have to flip through several screens, but I put all of it up here for you so you wouldn't have to get distracted and look it up. So Acts chapter 14, verses 8 uh, through 18. And in Lystra, uh, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, 
a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. This is nothing new. That Paul had happened to him, what this angel had happened to, 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 to him. That it wasn't right for Paul, it wasn't right in Revelation. That God is the one who is worthy of all worship and all praise, regardless of the circumstances that may have changed, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. That all praise and worship should constantly be directed to God and to no one else. Uh, so uh, what should the Greeks have done? Well, they should, all, they should have always remembered that people who are blessings are sent as servants of God and gifts that are blessings are sent for the service of God. Neither are to be objects of devotion. Uh, if you've ever seen a church that you don't know the name of the church, you don't know where they are, you don't know what they're doing, uh, you don't know anything about the health of them, but man, you know their preacher. Their preacher is so famous, and their preacher is so fancy, and uh, you know it's basically the first church of so-and-so. Uh, this is one of those things um, that it becomes a cult of personality, that you can get so tied up in a person, you can get so tied up in a style, you can get so tied up in all kinds of things that take your focus off of Jesus, uh, that Jesus is always supposed to be the focal point. Paul rebuked this quite strongly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul says, no, no, nobody but Jesus did all this for you. So nobody but Jesus is worthy of all of your attention. So we should be keeping our eyes off of everything else and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Guys, when you get back to church, it is not going to be the way you remembered it. It's not going to be the way you remembered it. And it might not be that way for a while. We may have to make some adjustments and do some things differently that are going to make you uncomfortable because it's not church the way you remembered it. I'm probably going to have to move this pulpit. Because not everybody's going to come back to church at one time. There's some folks who are going to need to stay at home, either because they've been exposed to this thing and they don't want to expose somebody else, they want to take care of them, or because they're high risk and they don't want to come out and be in danger until we know a little bit about, more about this thing medically. So guess what? I'm going to have to keep filming these things, even when we got people in here. Yes, we're going to still have a camera rolling. We're still going to be recording audio. And if I put this thing down on the front row to film me while I'm preaching, you won't be able to see past this pulpit. 
So I'm going to have to move it. That's going to be different. I'm going to have to have something else up here that's a little bit lower profile. We're going to have to pull all the hymnals and all the pew Bibles so that we can have song sheets so that folks cannot be touching shared surfaces. That's going to be very, very, very different. <clears throat> you, you might not be able to sit in your normal pew. You say, Josh, all this is silly stuff. None of this is a big deal. Absolutely, you are right. None of that's a big deal. But it might seem like one. Well, I don't, I don't know. That's just not the way I'm accustomed to worshiping. That's just not what I'm used to. It's going to be hard for me uh, to get in a worshiping mode if I'm not sitting in the right spot and I'm not holding my hymnal and, and I don't get to, uh, you know, my pastor's not standing behind a pulpit. Yeah, I, I hope none of you are going to think that way. I hope none of you are going to get caught up in making something else worthy of your worship. Because by the way, if you get caught up in that stuff, that's what you're doing. Are you worshiping your hymnal? Are you worshiping familiarity? Are you worshiping the furniture? For goodness sake, I hope not. I don't think any of you are or any of you will be, but it's possible I've seen it before. I've seen churches get so tied up in personalities, in things, in furniture, in rooms, in styles, in other stuff that they completely lose focus on Jesus. Do you know that Jesus doesn't care if you have a piano or a guitar? Jesus doesn't care if you have a subwoofer, a drum set. If you've never heard of a subwoofer, maybe you think a subwoofer is a dog barking in a cave. I don't know. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. What Jesus cares about is how much we care about Jesus. And I've only got so much care in me. I've only got so much focus. And I would rather give Jesus all of it and not worry about this other little stuff. I don't want y'all worrying about me as a personality. I don't want y'all worried about the furniture or the layout or anything else that we do things. I want y'all to be worrying and thinking about and focusing on and glorifying Jesus and not anything else. But circumstances can show up and make it hard to focus. Focus. On Jesus. This pulpit didn't die for you. Those hymnals weren't crucified for you. The offering plates that we're not going to pass because shared surface. It didn't. It it didn't redeem you, and neither did the five-gallon bucket that we're going to sit in the back in its place. The changes are not going to make a difference because Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And he ought to be our focus. So focus on him. Jesus is the focus of worship. Don't get caught up in anything else. And then finally, oh, wait, no, I left out one. I left out one. Oh, my goodness, my notes uh, snuck past me. Uh, so 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I want to show you how the, the danger of putting your faith in something else and putting your focus on something else other than God. Now, this is, again, this is a chunk of scripture, but follow me here. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Stop here for just a second. A little bit of a history lesson. If you go into the Old Testament, what is the Ark of the Covenant? When God gave the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, 
uh, <clears throat> the instructions that he left were instructions to uh, build a tabernacle, but then also uh, build the furniture for the tabernacle. A tabernacle is a sacred tent, and the furniture within it all had specific purposes for the worship of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that went in the holy place, holiest place of the tabernacle that contained some items uh, that were central to the, the ratification of the covenant that God made with Israel. So inside the Ark of the Covenant, you had two tablets that the Ten Commandments were inscribed on. You had Aaron's staff that budded when God chose the family of Aaron to be the family of the high priests. And you also had a jar of manna to remind Israel of how God had taken care of them in the wilderness. So you've got these items uh, in remembrance of how God had taken care of Israel and how he promised to and God also promised Israel that when the high priest went into the tabernacle, that he would meet with Israel uh, over the seat of the tabernacle, over the seat of the ark, the very lid of it between the two cherubim that were molded on top of it. So it was a very, very sacred object um, that was meant to be handled with the, the utmost care uh, and respect. But what they had done is they had taken it and turned it into basically an, an idol, right? So, so it says, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, God may save us from the hand of our enemies. No, that's not what they said. They said that it, the Ark, may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And now remember, it's differentiating between God and the ark, that God dwells between the cherubim on top of the ark when he meets with the people, but God is not the ark. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook, yay, the ark's here, we're going to win now. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. Even the Philistines are making the mistake. They're equating the object with God, right? <clears throat> Not correct. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. Excuse me, Hebrews, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So look at what happens when you put your focus on an object or a thing instead of God, actually. So just a warning story. Don't take something else, even something that you think represents God. Don't start playing that game where you've got something that you say, oh, well, this just represents God. Don't play that game. Put your focus on Jesus and not something that represents him, okay? Um, so keep your focus on Jesus because when you start giving it to other things, bad things happen. Always have, always will. Finally, Jesus is the focus of prophecy. There's a lot that goes on when we talk about prophecy, that prophecy is one of those things that, you know, we as Baptists, we're afraid of it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like talking about it, and probably that's because the word prophecy uh, gets misused a lot, um, that a lot of people pretend to be prophets when they're not. Um, that happens quite often, uh, that all you, all you got to do to gain respect from some people is to call yourself a prophet. 
Um, I'm not going to call myself a prophet. I'm going to call myself a pastor. Um, do I ever fill the office of prophet? Sure. I do it anytime I open Bible, open my Bible and speak it to you and, and, and say, thus says the Lord. When I speak God's word to you, yes, I am being a prophet. But guess what? Anytime you speak the word of God to somebody else, you're being a prophet too if you're quoting scripture because you're taking God's word and you're, you're telling it to someone else. Um, so uh, let's talk about prophecy for just a second from the pages of scripture. Look at what this angel says to John. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? That let, Let's think back just a second. Why did John worship this angel just a second ago? Because of the greatness of the vision that he was shown. What did the vision center on? The vision centered on the marriage feast of Jesus. It was about Jesus. That the prophecy that the angel showed John was about the victory, the victory celebration of Jesus. Okay, so yes, it was a great vision. Yes, it was a great prophecy to be given. But who is greater? The messenger or the one the prophecy is about? The one that the prophecy is about is greater than the prophet. Okay, so the angel is not worthy of worship. Jesus is because the angel is just the messenger. Jesus is actually the Messiah. So all prophecy, the ultimate point of all prophecy is for God to bring you to himself through his son, Jesus. All of scripture is about Jesus. All of prophecy ultimately glorifies Jesus. Look at what Jesus himself said in John 5. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you may have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Listen, I don't... I'm going to get myself in trouble here. <laughs> I'm going to put it on video. I'm going to put it out there for everybody to see. So you can share it, clip it, do whatever you want with it. I do not care one little bit about folks who call themselves prophets to get people's attention. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how many people you got listening to you. I don't care how emotionally tied you are to your office as prophet. You need to listen to me. If a person claims to be a prophet, and they are prophesying things that do not point you to Jesus and do not glorify Jesus, you need to run for the hills as fast as you can. I don't care if they are prophesying the end of your financial issues. I don't care if they are prophesying the healing of your marriage. I don't care if they are prophesying whatever other good thing you might really, really want. There's a word for that, and it's not prophecy. It's called confirmation bias. You hear what you want to hear, and you start writing checks and sowing seed donations to the ministry of the prophet, and you start giving all your money to somebody who is telling you what you want to hear. Let me tell you something that every, just about every single prophet in Scripture endured. They endured ridicule. They endured rejection. They endured hatred. And a lot of them eventually were executed. 
That's what happens to prophets. So when somebody is super popular and influential because they're a prophet, you should already be skeptical because that's not what any of the prophets in Scripture ended up like. The greatest prophet of all time was Jesus. He was prophet, priest, and king. What happened to him? So let me tell you that about prophets. A prophet is somebody who holds up this and says, thus says the Lord. That's a prophet. And if their prophecy can't be backed up in this, let me tell you exactly what you ought to do. In fact, let me not tell you what you ought to do. Let me tell you what scripture says you ought to do. Oh, look, I didn't even copy it. This is not John 5, 39 through 40, but you can see this down in scripture right, right there. It's Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass. So listen, Moses in writing Deuteronomy 13, Moses even said, what if this person claims to be a prophet and they prophesy something and it comes true? We ought to listen to him, right? That means they're a real prophet. Nope, that's not what it means. And the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known. Let us serve them. <clears throat> serve me. Write your check to me so that your seed money will, will sprout and bear a hundredfold, and you'll get your new job. And It's like a country song plays backwards. Do you know what happens if you play a country song backwards? If you play a country song backwards, your wife comes back, your dog finds his way home, your truck cranks again, and the house gets paid off. Uh, also, you end up sober. That's what happens when you play a country song backwards. Uh, a lot of prophecy is like that. Oh, if you sow your seed money into the ministry of the prophet that I promise you, all these wonderful things are going to happen. And, and, and you give a little bit of money and, and, and maybe something does look, look up. It's like, oh, I need to follow this prophet. I need to go with them. I follow them off a cliff right now. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Every single true prophet is never going to say anything that contradicts this. They are always going to point you to Jesus. They are never going to point you to themselves. They are never going to insist that you stay faithful to them. They're going to insist that you stay faithful to Jesus. They are always going to do that. And by the way, they're also never going to be wrong. So if any time your prophet tells you that their prophecies are right most of the time, but sometimes they just misinterpret them. No, that's not the way prophets in Scripture work. Prophets in Scripture are right 100% of the time because it's not their words, it's God's words. All prophecy is about Jesus. All prophecy leads to Jesus. All prophecy glorifies Jesus. All prophecy is ultimately about Jesus. And if it's not, you don't have a prophet, you have a huckster, and you need to run away. You need to leave that prophet. You need to leave that church. You need to leave that cult. That's what you need to do. Look in here. Is it about Jesus? Is it true to what you see in this book? All prophecy is focused on Jesus. 
And if the prophecy you hear is not, if the teaching you hear is not, if it doesn't jive with God's word, you need to run for the hills as fast as you can. I understand there's some folks who might, who might be offended by me saying that about your so-called prophets, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to run after them and I'm not going to speak about them as though they are a prophet because if they deny what's in this book and they take their word over what's in this, I don't care how inspired they feel. This is inspired. This is in black and white. And if what they say contradicts this, God's not going to honor them and I warn you to, to, to run away as fast as you can. You don't need to fear them. Any prophet who is not prophesying to tell you, thus says the Lord, because it's in here, and who is pointing you away from Jesus, you don't need to fear them. They can't call down God on you. They need to meet Jesus themselves. They need to be saved. So just, just a word of caution. This angel says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So let me tell you something that the Lord does say to you. The Lord does say, repent and be saved. Turn away from this wicked generation. All of you who will, repent, call on Jesus, be forgiven of your sins, be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God offers you that today. How do I know that? Because God offers that to anybody who will listen. You need, to, you need to call out to God. You need to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. I can't do enough to make up for my sins, but you, Jesus, have done enough for me. You died on the cross for me, and you rose for me three days later, and I believe that one day you will raise me to be with you, and I want to serve you for the rest of my life. Jesus will save you right now. And if you want to know more about what it means to give your life to Christ or if you prayed to receive Christ today, please reach out to me. Uh, call me, email me, shoot us a message on Facebook. Um, do one of those things so that we can follow up with you. But I love you guys. I want to make a couple of announcements before we leave, and then we will be done. So uh, uh, today, if you're watching this on our, our church website, uh, if you notice I accidentally flipped to my announcements earlier. I shouldn't have done that. If you're watching this on our website and you're a Facebook user, I want you to check out facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. That's facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. It's the best place for breaking news. Um, you can find it there quicker than you can just about anywhere else. So that's uh, that would be a great time for you to go and like our page, follow our page, and then share it with folks you know who don't have a church home. So uh, check out our Facebook page. Uh, if you're a Facebook user who's never been to our website, check out stapletonbaptist.org. That's where you can go. You can sign up for our email list. You can find all our backlogs of sermons as well as the handouts that go along with them. Um, and uh, it's got a lot of other stuff like our blog. It's got... Uh, a spot for online giving if that's something that you want to do. Uh, and it's a great place for static information, information that needs to be there all the time. You can find that all at stapletonbaptist.org. Uh, I think that is actually everything that I have got for today. Uh, hello, did my camera die? Um, I'm just going to whip right up here to the title because I don't know why my camera froze. That's a little bit awkward. Uh, and uh, uh, I will see you guys uh, back here on Wednesday for our next Bible study that we'll have together. Uh, I love y'all so much, and y'all stay safe.